You're listening to House on Fire, a youth-focused podcast that is going to wake up every single listener to embrace urgency and agency in this climate crisis. The wheels of industry are turning. Methane has a lifetime of maybe a decade in the atmosphere. Net zero by 2050, blah, blah, blah. Build back better, blah, blah, blah. In the United States, scientists found that streets in poor areas we're up to 3 to 10 degrees Celsius hotter. Of course, we can still turn this around. It is entirely possible. I am Caroline Lewis, the co-host for season two of House on Fire. And with me today is my colleague, Katrina. Take it away. Welcome back to House on Fire, a youth-led climate podcast that aims to get you to wake up. One of the reasons I got into the climate movement was because all of the many solutions that are already present. All we need is action. And my hope is that this podcast will get you to do that. My name is Katrina Irwin. I'm a recent college graduate and an associate program manager at the Clio Institute. I am on a mission to give you all the youth perspective of the climate movement and bring on many other youth climate hosts to help guide me in this effort. Welcome to House on Fire. On today's episode, we had a great conversation with Tony Cho about designing climate-ready communities with vulnerable populations in mind. As some of you know, Cleo has been an advocate for people being forced out of their homes because of accelerated climate gentrification, or as it's sometimes called these days, elevation gentrification. This is especially true in Miami, my hometown, and in areas like Little Haiti and Liberty City where Cleo works and with which Mr. Cho is familiar. On this episode, we got carried away. We didn't get to discuss what happened with the local Magic City effort, but we expect we will address that when Tony returns for another episode of House on Fire. We enjoyed listening to this creative developer's vision for future cities that are sustainable and inclusive. And we welcome his promise to pilot a truly mixed-income, climate-ready community here in Miami. His next appearance on House on Fire will be another good one, I assure you. Take a listen. Welcome back, listeners. Today, we have a special guest with us who has a focus on smart growth and urban planning. Tony Cho is the founder and chairman of sustainable real estate brokerage firm, Metro One. He is also one of the real estate developers of Miami's now famous Wynwood District. Tony is also the founder of The Chosen Retreat Space, The Future of Cities, and he has an Emerald City vision for sustainable living. Mr. Cho, is it okay if I call you Tony? Please call me Tony. Great. I love that. (laughs) I'm not formal. (laughs) Your journey from Sebastian, Florida to Argentina and then to Miami has no doubt allowed you to experience many different cultures and see firsthand how the climate crisis is impacting our planet and our lives. In Florida, where the majority of our population is concentrated in coastal communities, it is imperative that we approach urban planning and development with building resiliency of our communities as intensifying fossil fuel disasters occur. So two things, Tony. How have you managed to reconcile the teachings of your faith and your vast knowledge of cultural knowledge with capitalist materialism? How have those experiences shaped your perspective on sustainable development and building climate resilient communities? Great question. And um, really something that I think most people are grappling with. I mean, we're kind of entering this Mm post-capitalistic, very um, self-centered, self-pursuing world 
that really didn't take into consideration external complications like climate change and cultural mm-hmm. misappropriation, et cetera. And so we're, we've reached that tipping point. We've reached mm-hmm. the boiling point. And I do believe that there's a way forward. And it's not anti-capitalism. It's social capitalism. It's mm-hmm. impact investing. And there are ways to align you know, the quadruple bottom line, people, planet, profit, and purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think that really you have to come from where your intention is, starts from. What is the intention you know, of what you want to accomplish in your business? with an objective, with a project. And for us, it's always been about the community first, about the environment first. And if you can align that, then that's what's called holistic regenerative development. Hmm. It hasn't really been done to a great extent in this country, but there are examples of it, you know, in New Zealand and other places, you know, in, in particularly in, in Scandinavia and other places around. And Europe is definitely more advanced than the United States in terms of green building and more sustainable and social projects. But now there's just no other way forward but doing regenerative development because mm-hmm. what's happening over the next 30 years is that the built environment is going to double or triple in size. Mm-hmm. So that's an alarm. That is a scary thought. Mm-hmm. It is a very scary thought. And if we continue to build the same way that we've been building for the past 100 years or so without any you know, innovation in the construction materials or the methods that are not carbon capturing, it's going to be a even bigger disaster, you mm-hmm. know? And, and so I think really what, what is the goal is it's, it's aligning the right incentives with the right outcomes. Mm-hmm. What is the world that we want to envision and how can we create public-private partnerships and cross-sector collaboration at scale that can align those incentives? Because we know, you know, Einstein said and Buckminster Fuller said, we have all the technology and all of the resources in the world to take care of 100% of life. So it's, 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 it's a... It's a it's about the will. It's about the intention and it's about the will and it's about the appropriate incentives. Mm-hmm. And people don't do things that are harmful because they're intentionally bad people. They, a lot of them are just uneducated and don't have other solutions. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, education is so important. That's what we believe in at Clio. I agree yeah, with that. Education is paramount. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's why you know, we have so many issues in this world. A lot of it is lack of education and lack of access. Mm-hmm. And there's certain things that I believe are basic human rights, you know, mm-hmm. and education is one of them. And access to internet, you know, is directly tied to education mm-hmm. because you can learn and everything on your smartphone now. All the information is is there. And so I think we need to really democratize access to basic fundamental human needs. And I think that's going to unlock a lot of the potential. And, you know, for example, I'm very passionate about affordable, attainable, sustainable housing solutions for the 99%. And that's a big business opportunity. So when you talk about aligning, you know, financial goals with social and environmental goals, they can be done. And you're seeing all these ESG funds and all these different people focused on, you know, B Corp businesses and other things happening. It's emerging because there is no other way forward. For the listeners, I want them to know that Tony Cho and I have known each other for a long time, but we've never met face-to-face until today. You know, I'm a science teacher and a high school principal by trade. And in 2010, when the climate scientists locally were, like, having hissy fits because people were not paying attention, that's when I decided to found the CLEO Institute. And CLEO is an acronym for Climate Leadership, CL, through engagement opportunity. So we really just are out there trying to wake up the whole world Mm -hmm. from elected officials and chambers of commerce to frontline communities, schools, and everybody in between. So in our work, the urgency of the science of the climate 
and the parts per million and the heat trapping gases and the warming of a planet at a rate unprecedented in at least six million years scares the, the living daylight out of some of us because as the NOAA scientist said, we're conducting an experiment we, we've never ever seen anything like to compare it to. Combat that with the justice issues, the vulnerability of the human population. So in the climate fight, I hear a lot about infrastructure and raising roads and all of that. And I'm, I'm going, got to do it, got to be ready. We got to stay here as safely as possible. But what about the human infrastructure? How does that justice lens improve how we do things? Because I think the scope of vulnerability, and I don't mean to go on too long about this, is intense throughout the state of Florida, throughout the country, and here in Miami-Dade County, out of control. I'm talking about 57% of the population, based on the Alice reports, which I'm sure you read, cannot, are living paycheck to paycheck, are poor or working poor, cannot prepare for or recover from a disaster. So how do we go about hijacking capitalism? This is what David Martin, a developer, local developer who was on the Clio board for a while, he said, I'm hijacking capitalism to fight climate change. And, and I said, good for you, David. I want to make a lot of money doing the right thing. How do you do that? Give me a working example of how, with the climate justice lens, the intensity of the climate science, multiplying all of those dramas, how do you do that? So that's a really important question. And I think that you, I love what you guys are doing at Clio, and I think awareness is first and foremost. Mm -hmm. We need to raise awareness, and and what you guys are doing is very critical to the whole um, solution set that needs to be created. At Future of Cities, which I launched a year ago, that was in the making for the last, basically my whole career. It's kind of my life works culmination coming together. But we're open sourcing a new sustainable development platform called Regenerative Placemaking. You know, it's basically a, a framework that you can develop in a way that's equitable, that's inclusive, that's sustainable, and it's non-prescriptive. Because we talked about cultural sensitivities, we talked about um, social justice, we've talked talked about vulnerable communities, and in those communities, the problem is is that so many people have come in before us mm -hmm. as colonizers with their own ideas of what should go into those communities without co-designing with those communities. Mm -hmm. And so regenerative placemaking is an inclusive framework for participatory design and development mm -hmm. within communities. And so there's no prescription of how to do it other than taking best practices building capacity within those local communities and empowering them to co-design their best outcomes. So would an example of that be like having like town halls and like hiring like people within that community to get people to go to them? It's about engagement. Okay. However, whatever the form is that you need to include and engage people and you have to meet them at their place at mm -hmm. their level of where they are. And you have to remember there's a lot, huge lack of ed education and disparity is particularly among the underserved communities. And so there has to be different methods of engagement through the arts, through culture, through things that matter to them. In certain projects, we start with the commons, developing common area spaces with the community before developing your buildings or whatever that's mm -hmm. gonna be the personal private use. And Do so, any of these exist? Have you started one or many? We're in the process of launching our first demonstration project. Again, our, our platform, Future of Cities, was a response to my frustration with the development 
industry as a whole mm -hmm. and the lack of alignment between the capital markets, you know, banking institutions, you know, construction materials, con you know, contractors, et cetera, with the desire to want to build sustainably and inclusive and equity, but not really having the options. The, the problem is, is there really aren't many options. 15 years ago, I started the first green building resource center in my office in Wynwood, and no one cared. No one, no one came, no one participated, no one was interested. And so here we are 15, <clears throat> 17 years later, and now they're starting to get critical you know, traction for some of these solutions because now it's being mandated. It's being mandated at the municipal level, it's being mandated at the state level. You know, now we have carbon capture goals, we have you know, drawdown goals, we have things that are being, but they're, but they're being implemented through policy. Mm -hmm. And so policy is a big portion of it and incentivizing people to do the right thing is what we need to do. The reason people are not building more affordable, attainable housing is because there's not the right incentive. You know, you know, David Martin, he has to be incentivized when he can make X amount of millions of dollars building a luxury condo on Miami Beach. Why is he going to go into Overtown and do a project where there's a marginal return? And so I'm, my whole philosophy is we need to incentivize the investors in, and the developers to do the right thing. And then we need to empower those who want to be, you know, investors and developers, but who don't have access to those circles, to those mm -hmm. capital. And so it's a combination of educating the old school, but bringing the newcomers mm -hmm. into a level playing field. And you do that through equity and inclusion. You, you include people in the process and you make it fully participatory. Okay, but, but I have a problem, Tony. Here's the yeah. problem. I think in, in, in theory, that's exactly what we need. Yeah. So I 100% agree with you. Let me just say that. In, in actuality, the political needle moves way too slowly. For sure. And they're kicking the can down the road on the climate crisis. For example, the concept that methane, natural gas, as we put natural in quotation marks, is a bridge fuel or the cleanest fuel is a myth. Mm -hmm. Because the extraction of methane and the leaks happening long after you have taken all the methane out and made liquid, whatever, liquid natural gas. Let's call it's it seventeen. Gas. It's it's seventeen times potentially dirtier than coal. Mm -hmm. So people say, if I burn a pound of gas and a a pound of coal, the gas is so much cleaner. Yes, but look at what you did to get that gas and how much is still leaking in fugitive leaks. And if you count that and the greenhouse gas potential. So I'm just trying to say to you, for our fight, the climate science is a threat multiplier to all the social good we're trying to do and all the justice issues. And I don't think we can win the fight for people and equity and justice without really tackling the causes of the climate crisis. And quite frankly, Tallahassee in Florida now is in their renewable energy portfolio or clean energy portfolio. It, they're blaring all about natural gas or fracked gas. So how can a developer like you with such great intentions for humanity and biodiversity and ecosystems, help the climate crisis really shine a light on fossil fuels, including methane. It's it's very simple. It's it's like Buckminster Fuller said: don't fight the existing system. Create a new system that makes the old system obsolete. And you know, solar and wind and hydro and methane and coal and oil. 
you know, all of these things that are being used right now, we're in a transitionary period. And actually this crisis in Ukraine right now, which is horrendous, horrific event, is hopefully going to accelerate our transition well, towards should, clean right? energy. And I think that hopefully that can be one of the silver lining moments of this horrendous uh, event that's happening in Ukraine. And I think that this is this is a, a watershed tipping moment for that to happen. And you're seeing a lot of massive adoption of electric cars. All the big fours are going almost full electric over the next four or five years. That's a huge change. Now, mm -hmm. obviously, there's lithium batteries and where do you store them? So it's not a perfect science, but mm -hmm. these are bridges to a new clean energy future. And there's incredible work happening with fusion. And there's incredible work happening with nuclear, which is which is also very controversial, but it's way more efficient and it's way more energy efficient and cleaner than a lot of the 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 other things, like you said, that are being used. But people are scared of it. We so. won't we won't argue against. I don't think we would argue against nuclear at all. Mm -hmm. The location of nuclear, however, come on, Turkey right. Point is a disaster. I think they just closed it down, right? Well, they just denied yeah. the, the building of more. So yeah. no, mm -hmm. we're relying a lot on that power. We can't just close it down. Mm -hmm. Tony, I gotta ask you a question. Please. Because I was born in Trinidad, so I have this whole third world lens, right? And the justice community here in Miami has really ripped my eyes open mm -hmm. on vulnerability. Have you heard of the term procedural justice? Yes. Right. It's what you're trying to do. Nothing mm -hmm. for us without us. Mm -hmm. A true seat at the table, mm -hmm. right? But as you said, people lack education. They don't know what they don't know. So, Educating locals as to the reality of gentrification, of improving a community, is crucial. How do you gentrify with the people? Mm -hmm. Can that happen? Well, you, I think you can mitigate the impacts of gentrification by being forward-thinking and really doing public-private partnerships and collaboration. Again, I don't think that anybody can point the finger and say, this is the government's responsibility, this is mm -hmm. the private sector's responsibility, it's everybody's responsibility. Mm -hmm. Justice is, is the responsibility of humanity, humanity mm -hmm. to take care of 100% of life. Mm -hmm. We have that responsibility and we're failing miserably because mm -hmm. two billion people on this planet go to bed every night without a proper roof over their head, adequate wa clean water and adequate food. And that's just a travesty, that shouldn't be happening. And especially since we have all the resources to correct that. And, mm -hmm. and, and to rectify it. And so I really think what's, what's, what's very important is that we work on, on building bridges and cross-sector collaboration. And, and listen, inclusivity you know, and being in community is complicated because humans are complicated. I know from personal experience, it's very romanticized intentional living and intentional communities, but it comes with its, um, you know, with its brown spots and its warts on and its complication because you're interacting with people. What we've done in, in if particularly in modern culture and particularly in the United States is separate everybody. Everybody lives in isolated, separated lives away from each other. And that othering is what's creating a lot of the problems. Mm -hmm. So if we want to fix climate change, we need to also heal ourselves from within, within. We need to be able to be more tolerant, more accepting of people with different viewpoints and people with different perspectives. And so I think that's part of the process. And you're not always going to agree through a committee of what to do because everybody's going to have their own perspective. And we always say, well, include the community in your decisions. Well, which community? 
even in little Haiti, when we were engaging with a lot of people, you know, everybody claimed to be the representative of that community. And they all had different ideas about what was the best outcome for the neighborhood or for the community. So you and take a ton of input and you have to sort through it. Is that the issue? You have, yeah. to, you have to come from a heart-centered place of good intention. You have to be willing to do deep listening. The, the, mm -hmm. the whole foundation of regenerative development is all about deep listening. You have to be able and willing to be patient. So mm -hmm. you can't rush through development mm -hmm. because, you know, you're not taking into consideration. And then you have to really be thoughtful and intentional about what you're doing. You're all, everybody's going to make mistakes, you know, but as long as you come at it with the right approach and the right intention, and you've got to be willing to take risks, prototype and experiment. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're looking to do at Correct. Future of Cities. All of our projects are going to be experiments in in sustainability, in regenerative development, in inclusivity and social justice. And each of these projects, we aim to try to prototype solutions that we can open source and share with people, mm -hmm. the mistakes and the successes. Mm -hmm. Because humans are not perfect. And that's okay. That's what makes us unique and individual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I don't get I don't get the so so I agree with you on incentivizing the right thing. I mean, gosh, that's just such common sense, right? But we're still incentivizing oil and coal. And the profit margins of the fossil fuel barons is ridiculous. Solar and wind has come down in cost tremendously, even without subsidies. So if we're going to talk about incentives, how do we work with that? That build back better thing that Congress is still tied up on on some levels has incentives for people to do the right thing. And the Justice Forte project demands that equity is a part of it. So when you're talking about, how do you incentivize for people without the means to live in your community? What, what does that look like? Like, would you have rent control, for example? We're exploring all, all, all options of, of cooperative living, of, of tokenizing real estate, you know, creating DAOs where there can be community participation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But these are all new, very, very niche fintech explorations that are happening, mm -hmm. you know, in the world of blockchain. And I think that that has a lot of promise of decentralizing and democratizing access to real property, which is what separate, separated people for so many years. It's been a very, oh, the 1% has controlled most of the real estate in the world, and it's mostly been white men. And so that's part of the issue. There's not diversity you know, at the top. And if there were, if there was diversity at the top, I think the world would be a very different place. And if there was more women, women in leadership positions, mm -hmm. I, could, I think there would be a more nurturing, more inclusive approach. I mean, you know, women also are, are, you know, they're human as well and they make mistakes, but they have a more nurturing, mm -hmm. instinctive sense than a lot of men do. And men have been in charge for a long time. And that's probably a good portion of the reason of why we're here mm -hmm. in the situation that we find us because you have to nurture you know mother earth and the planet mm -hmm. and take care of the people and i think we've lost that in the pursuit of quarterly profits and wall street and entrenched interests i mean the oil and gas industry is all about money Mm -hmm. That's and what it's about. I, and, you know, and it doesn't take into consideration human or environmental impacts. And That's they are also buying, okay, let's just talk about money in politics. I want you to come back to crypto and mm -hmm. get an understanding of that from Tony because I don't get it. <laughs> um, but Tony, so if somebody of your status and caliber and mind and brain and experience it really has an Emerald City, fic, uh, a sort of a utopic vision for what the future could really be, how do you create these public-private partnerships to switch these engines that are too slow to switch 
How do we do that? How do we say, you know what? We're just going to do a demonstration project in Little Haiti and Liberty City and put a working air conditioned unit that's solar powered in one room of every home. I mean, we're able to do this in like, you know, other countries uh, as well. We I'm, should be I able mean, to I, do you it have here. to just do it. You yeah. have to take the risk. I mean, that's what we're doing at our retreat center. We're 85% off grid. We've got the largest Tesla tile solar roof system, mm -hmm. you know, in, in a private home in the southeastern United States. We're doing mm -hmm. biofilter rainwater collection systems, you know, we have, but we're experimenting. We're learning these things. You know, I didn't, I wasn't raised or, or, or I, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a climate scientist. <laughs> I know. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I grew up in an ashram. I studied political science and then I got into nightlife and then into real estate. So mm -hmm. a lot of this is is just a, a self-learning, reading a lot, talking to a lot of brilliant people with a lot of bri brilliant ideas and trying to distill through them and, and following kind of your North Star mm -hmm. of aligning with people who have good intentions. Yeah. And that's really what we're doing is we're just, that's what the future of cities, it, it's really it's really gathering those change makers and thought leaders in all the different categories from futurists mm -hmm. to urban planners, to policy makers, to developers, to products that really align with you know, a, an evolved built environment mm -hmm. that serves 100% of life, not mm -hmm. just human life. I think people no, get hot no. yeah. because human life doesn't you. exist mm -hmm. without the bees, for example. No, mm -hmm. biodiversity has to be and, in And that. Florida is a brazen example of tremendous biodiversity loss. And one of the organizations Gosh. that is doing a great, a lot of great work is Path of the Panther mm -hmm. and the Florida Wildlife Corridor. And we've been supporting probably one of the large, you know, one of this organization that we support the most financially, you know, me and my wife's foundation, because we believe that protecting wild Florida is as important as creating regenerative cities. Amen. They're two sides agree. of the same, they're two sides of the same token. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's, and we're it's just like, watching the manatees die and we just, you no, know, come on. What broke my heart is I was in Key West yesterday. I literally just got back. I woke up in Key West this morning, which is very cool, but I got to go to a coral reef. And that's the one thing that like in my lifetime, I have just seen that become completely destroyed. Mm -hmm. Have you been interested in like looking into projects for like reef restorations? Because it is so important to our biodiversity here. It, it is so important. And I really, you know, it, it it's something that I'm, I, I care about very much. It's not something that I've invested a lot of time in because I'm mm -hmm. so focused on the built environment because I think you need to really kind of narrow in on what it is that you can do. But we've worked with Oceanics, which is the UN back yes. floating mm -hmm. city and talking about that as a solution for climate change refugees and, you know, rapidly prototype on the water for coastal cities. And we've looked at reef restoration and we've looked at a lot of mm -hmm. coral restoration projects. It's not something that we put a lot of energy into through the future of cities. But mm -hmm. to me, I mean, the ocean represents two thirds of the land ma of the mass on the earth. Mm -hmm. And it is an opportunity for prototyping future civilizations on water, in water, in harmony with, mm -hmm. with, with, with the ocean. They say 70% of the population on earth depends on the oceans for food okay. and survival. Yeah. Yep. I also uh, really want to just circle back to what we were talking about earlier. It kind of seemed like you were, you had a little bit of interest in helping to get more um, affordable housing here in Miami. Is that something that you're currently working on? I, I am working on it. And I've talked to, you know, city mayor, county mayor, Miami mm. Beach. I'm talking to um, Chamber of Commerce and other people. And the land is just simply not affordable. So without without you know, public-private partner, that's what I'm talking about, public-private mm -hmm. partnerships and subsidies, 
but this should be something that yes. that that everybody in this town wants because we're not going to survive and thrive unless you have affordable housing. I mean, here. Floridians are getting kicked out of their home like all around the state right now. It's everywhere. Mm -hmm. it's, it's it's a it's an affordability crisis. Mm -hmm. So you have to move faster, Tony. You have to figure this out. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, the whole planet needs to work on yeah. this, and there are many smart people working on incentivizing and gamifying, and that's where I'm very excited about kind of the promise of blockchain and web three and the metaverse and, and really looking me at out. Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a completely new, um, technology mm -hmm. and it has the possibility to, to really create tremendous opportunity around the world yeah. in so, so many places and disrupt the entire mm -hmm. capitalistic system. I, I have one more question for you before we go on to cryptocurrency, because sure. may maybe I'm just not educated in this, but because you are a developer and you can, you know, purchase areas of the city, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, do you have the power to create affordable housing? Again, it's a function of what you pay for the land, what uh -huh. you can build there, and what incentives are available. And so it's it's not really, the incentives don't really match the return and the risk-reward okay. profile right mm -hmm. now. They could give They're, it away. I mean, they could, as a developer, say, okay, I'm going to invest a billion dollars, if they have that. But mm -hmm. they're all trying to make some amount of money. And if we don't incentivize the sale at a cost that makes sense to you, then it's not an incentive for you. We no. want both things. We want you to no. do the right thing just because you can and you will. Mm -hmm. But we also see the need for the incentives yeah. to help developers do the right mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, you, know? yeah, you need to curious. incentivize people because you know mm -hmm. the, the development uh, business is extremely risky. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people fail and they lose a lot of money. They risk millions of dollars because the markets go up and down and sideways. And if you catch a bad market and you're mm. over-levered, it can take you out. So people are very... Um, conservative when it comes to what they're going to build. And, you know, right mm -hmm. now there's a tremendous amount influx of capital and mm -hmm. wealth moving into this, into this. I think I read some crazy statistic that Miami had the most amount of volume last year of single family home sales in the country in terms of dollar volume of sales. So there's, there's an insane amount of wealth moving in here. And I think that there's an opportunity to steward that capital in a responsible way because most of these people, particularly people coming from California, people are a little bit more liberal in their thinking mm -hmm. and their approach, they want to do the right thing. They want to be part of the solution. We've got to give them options. Right now, there are very few options of ways to combat you know, uh, you know, rising home prices because, mm -hmm. and, and the pandemic hasn't helped, the supply chain disruption. And our governor doesn't help with the anti-net metering thing. Are you aware of that? Yeah, I am. I am. Yeah, I mean, so you know, especially since you're like I almost I can't go off-grid. Off yeah. You, know, you my can't property. about yeah. anti-incentives. I yeah. mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, um, but I do, I do want to be respectful of your time. But I do really want to talk to you about crypto because Caroline and I, I'm not going to lie, we're, we're not the biggest fans of crypto. I know here in Miami, Mayor Suarez, he loves cryptocurrency as well. He even like opened Miami's like own form of cryptocurrency. But, you know, crypto can be very bad for the environment in terms of sustainability because of all of the energy that it ends up wasting through crypto mining. It, it follows that increasing energy demands of crypto would make it increasingly difficult to meet our energy needs with renewable technologies. So with that being said, and like, I know you are very educated when it comes to sustainability, has your position on crypto changed at all as a result of finding out how unsustainable it is? So I, first of all, just as a disclaimer, I don't 
claim to be a crypto expert. Okay. You know, I'm I'm pretty fairly new to 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 the industry, but mm -hmm. I'm very intrigued. But I'm you, you also have to look at kind of the facts. The current banking industry is many many multiples higher in terms of the amount of energy and negative climate impact that it has. So I think you have to compare apples with apples in terms of digital payments. Cryptocurrencies, you know, is more of the digital currency component of it. What I'm most excited about is the fundamental underlying technology of blockchain that is the building blocks of what cryptocurrency and digital payments are. Mm -hmm. So blockchain is a decentralized ledger system where everything is transparent. You can see every transaction because it's it's put into, you know, it's put out there into the public. So mm -hmm. you, you can see every single transaction, you can see what's happened. So it's decentralized. You can have consensus. So people really build and there's smart contracts, which eliminates middle people in the whole decision making process, which is why it's become more disruptive and it's become more interesting because it's it's opening up a whole new world of opportunity that's eliminating a lot of the old old, tired, you know, dogmatic industries that we have from the banking industry that, that are not transparent, that are not transparent, that are not disclosing what's going on and that are charging fees and they're taking advantage disproportionately to underserved communities. And that's what the banking you know, industry has done over the long haul. And so this is a chance to decentralize, you know, the finance and banking industry and make it more transparent. Now, the actual outcome of the whole cryptocurrency that has concentrated more wealth, you know, among fewer people than expected but when you talk to a lot of experts in the field they're saying well this is a this is a, this this is a a a phase that it has to go through before it it evolves to the next level of where it is i do believe because they're prototyping a new technology and i think blockchain in and of itself is actually functioning properly and by the way there are cryptocurrencies that are energy efficient carbon neutral yeah, that are out there there's new where? There's I need to look it up because I have not, I have been, people are trying to use Clio as a recipient of money made through NFTs and other mm -hmm. things, which we definitely need. But right. our question is that, is the energy intensity, can't we mine these things in a renewable energy yes, source? absolutely. And yeah, where and is that happening? Yeah, if that's the case, then like, why aren't all the crypto experts doing that? I know you said you're not an expert, yeah. but you know, it just makes more sense for it to be sustainable well, an, if you have the opportunity. It's an unregulated new emerging industry. And uh -huh. so I think that one, and I think regulation will be really good for it. I think once that happens, that's when it really is going to take off as a, you know, as a new foundation. And Web3, you know, mm. and the spatial web is going to replace Web 2.0. It's going mm -hmm. to happen. Everything is going to be done in the metaverse. And it's just a better, more evolved technology. So what's happening is it's being disrupted right before our eyes. And what's amazing about, you know, um, DAOs, you know, which, which are, you know, intended to be representative of the members of mm -hmm. those, you know, decentralized autonomous organizations can build consensus. So I'm exploring DAOs in my real estate projects because I want to engage as many people as possible that they can vote on certain aspects of what does the future of the community. And it's done in a decentralized way that's very transparent and that's automatic. You know, and you can leverage AI and other things that can help contribute Correct. to getting all the information you need to make the best decisions. Mm -hmm. So you know, there's there's many ways to look and you can be fearful of dystopian outcomes of these new technologies, but it's here to stay. And we have to really help shape the future of these tools to help us solve big problems. Like That's we have the in magic the world. word though, Tony, shape it. And what we are hoping is that somebody like you 
can hear what we're saying about vulnerable populations and the scope of... It's not like in a a community of 3 million people in Miami-Dade County, we're talking almost 2 million are living paycheck to paycheck. So as you think about all of these innovations, I kind of want to make sure you don't go to affordable housing versus workforce housing Mm because workforce housing is for nurses and doctors who aren't in the poverty level area we're talking about, which is worse. And so I just want to help um, elevate the urgency with which you're approaching that piece of the community as you design these future cities with ecosystems that are closed loop. Is that part mm-hmm. of what you're thinking 100%. as well? And, and And in that case, how big a community can you envision with that model working? Oh, it has to work for billions and billions of right. people all over the world. And it's not just in cities. It has to be in rural and, and suburban communities around the planet because, you know, a good percentage of the population today lives in rural areas. So eco-villages and suburbia and other places needs to de-emphasize the automobile. They need to get out of their cars. They need to really work on creating a more, you know, sustainable lifestyle that's not emphasizing the things that are harming our planet. And so I think that... You know, we need to create models that work for the entire the entire world. And that's why for us, regenerative placemaking as a framework is something we can share and people can adopt it in their own because we have no ambition to be developing in hundreds of mm-hmm. cities around the world. It's just not possible. It's not realistic for us. I don't want to live on a plane. I wanna you know, <laughs> I wanna have I wanna reduce my carbon footprint and I wanna be able to help build community where I am mm-hmm. and do demonstration projects. But people can accelerate, you know, the learnings through these peer-to-peer networks, through web three, through we can prototype, you know, in the digital world through twin twin cities and the metaverse, what one of these regenerative communities look like and then people can take pieces of it you know and say well this is what this neighborhood could look like if we co-design it with the community and Mm -hmm. that's where we go back to the educational component the inclusivity component of it and being fully participatory so can we create one of these katrina and i were just yeah we were just like right right town hall can you can you come to miami and do that with us yeah Yeah, caroline's the queen of town halls i don't know if you know that but if (laughs) you want to like find a way to get other people from little haiti to come in and not just have like representatives just have it be huge areas of little haiti just all coming in and talking well, even beyond to little haiti yeah sure. right. absolutely so yeah. let's, let's, let's make a town hall let's make it happen sure why not but i'm going to tell you what your role is tony you ready yes ma'am your role <laughs> is to get a group of investors to come up with this miami plan of a co-created communal area and make it so that most of the money comes from the private public partnership, you know what I'm saying? But make it so successful that every government entity wants to create incentives for developers to do this everywhere. They have to see it working. Of course, show me, don't tell me. Okay, so we got him, we got Tony. Thank you so much for agreeing to create a a, a closed loop. (laughs) She has you on record. Communal living, no, no, I mean, I think it could be a beautiful thing. It's my mission, I mean, it's my mission and my organization, so it will happen. And and there are are a lot of, 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 bright spots around the world of people doing the right thing. Yeah. yeah. And I really Not think, a lot in Miami, unfortunately. But you could shine a light on but, it. Like you said, the eyes of the world. Yeah. I get a call from a reporter. Cleo gets calls from reporters. 
couple times a week to talk about Miami. Mm-hmm. So eyes are on us and let's showcase your hey, vision. But it was good. I was at COP26 and Mayor Suarez was there and other people were there. So people are starting to pay attention that this is a real issue. And so just having that awareness and education is the start of the solutions, right? Because first you have to accept that you have a problem. And that has been the biggest fight, you know, mm-hmm. over, you know, the last couple of decades. So am I pushing it by saying... House on Fire, episode four, Tony Cho agrees to pilot program in Miami. <laughs> <laughs> Could be fun. Why not? Okay, I mean, you work on the investors and design. We'll work on making sure that community members community are engaged. Community and elected are there too. to listen so that mm-hmm. we're saying we want every government, federal, state, and local, to incentivize this model. Yeah, I agree. Okay, All right, let's, let's do, do it. it. Thank, you so, much, yes. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Tony Cho. Thank you so much for being on the show. It has Thanks been a true pleasure. Really likewise, has. likewise. House on Fire is powered by the Clio Institute and could not exist without the help of the Lynn and Lewis Wolfson II Family Foundation. Thank you so much for making this happen. Here at the Clio Institute, we believe that the best way to get people into the climate movement is through education. And one of the best ways to do that is by sharing House on Fire with your friends and family. So don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to our podcast. And House on Fire can be found on all channels where podcasts are available. Thank you.